angry well, Kirby eyes. All I have to say about that. Ang- <laughs> American Kirby is angry for some reason. Hey, hey, Japanese Ratchet has Martin Scorsese eyebrows. Check it. Look at it. Really? Go to the Japanese trailer for any Ratchet and Clank game. They puff out his eyebrows and it looks hilarious. Awesome. He has Martin Scorsese eyebrows. He has like eye caterpillars. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome to Elder Speak, the official podcast of ElderGeek.com. You're listening to issue number 39. With me, as always, I've got Gavin from the uh, the side of the news. Say hello, Gavin. Hello, Gavin. And uh, I've got Justin Johnson with me this week as well uh, from 8BitX. Uh, we're going to be discussing his show in the second half about uh, Radio Free Gamer. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, bud. I'm glad to have you on board, finally. Um... Let's uh, let's just pop right into the news, Justin. You and I will, uh, you know, we'll throw in our two cents uh, to what uh, what Gavin has stirred up for us this week. Stirred up for you? It sounds like I'm making stir fry, which is delicious. I love stir fry. I do too, especially with a good teriyaki sauce. <laughs> Got to be careful though; a lot of teriyaki sauce is bad. But and speaking of t- uh, bad teriyaki sauce, let's go to Rockstar Games. Yay. Um, we ex- um, rejoice all PC and PS3 gamers. Uh, the episodes from Liberty City Collection of DLC package, Packets are coming your way. Looks like Microsoft's deal with uh, Rockstar was indeed only timed. And the uh, two downloadable um, episodes from Grand Theft Auto 4, that being The Ballad of Gay Tony and The Lost and the Damned, will be coming to both the PlayStation 3 and PC in both a box set available for $40 at retail and digital downloads, both apparently for $19.99 apiece. And these, do we have a release date? Uh, yes, March 30th. So that will be coming to both of us. Uh, indeed, with all their compatible, mul- competitive multiplayer and uh, sorted features intact. That's okay. awesome. Uh, no, that's great. Justin, do you have a 360 PS3? I have a 360, actually. I have uh, GTA 4 on the 360, and I picked up uh, Lost in the Damned a little bit after it got released. So uh, it's kind of weird to see the... Uh, DLC getting released over a year after the original Lost and Damned came out mm. in February '09. That's true. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what the deal was, whether what, whether it was a specific time period, maybe a year or something. But um, the price seems fair, uh, to tell the truth. So uh, I mean, forty dollars for a pretty good amount of content is uh, a pretty good deal. So I would pick it up if you haven't already for the people who bought GTA 4 on the PC and the PS3. Yeah, I um. I, to my understanding, you can actually run the expansion, you know, DVD. If you just have a 360, you don't need the original GTA 4. Is that right? That is true. Yeah, I see. For the longest time, I I don't have uh, GTA 4 on my 360. I have it on my PS3. For the longest time, I was just going to rent the the expansion pack and pop it in, but I just never did. But now I kind of like the fact that I can get them both on the same, you know, on the same platform. So that's awesome. I think that's great. I think it's awesome news for PC gamers too because. I think a lot of them have been feeling like they've been left out in the cold for a while. Indeed. There were a lot of rumors that um, the deal between Microsoft and Rockstar didn't do it, go too well. Microsoft did invest $50 million into the deal, and I'm not sure if they made that entirely back. We never got a financial briefing from them. So this could be just a reaction of Rockstar trying to recoup costs. That's a lot um, of money. Again, 
uh, a year is a pretty standard seeming uh, amount of time for any sort of exclu- exclusivity contract. So yeah. there could be a lot of reasons this is going on. And for PC users like the original Grand Theft Auto 4, there will be a video editor for the episode packs. That's awesome. So you want to make sure and pick it up. Then again, if you're a PC gamer, you already know this because you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't oh, recovered from your superiority complex, as of <laughs> if you can come down from your deserved mountain, yeah. <laughs> we're moving on again. We're moving on to um, Super Bowl time. And again, the only reason any any cool people watch the Super Bowl, the commercials, Electronic Arts is paying some big cash, throwing down some major bucks, making it rain, if you will, for one of the ad, ad spots in the biggest advertising breaks in the world, which is Super Bowl Sunday spot time. And it looks like uh, we did ha- receive an update later on that it will be an ad for Dante's Inferno. So most likely they're going to be catering majorly to the Xbox 360 crowd that's watching the game. Uh, you guys got any thoughts on this? No, I was I was just thinking of a joke that I had heard earlier. They were like, uh, "We paid for uh, Super Bowl airtime on the Lifetime Network." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. So the, uh, it's EA. They've got huge, huge deep pockets. Of course, they can afford uh, ad time. I'm surprised they haven't done it before. Yeah, I think. Well, they've been launching a huge, huge ad campaign for Mass Effect Two, so I'm not surprised to see. Uh, you now, Dante's Inferno probably isn't going to be as bigger releases mass effect 2 but i mean when you consider that you got god of war 3 coming out around the corner i think you got to push dante's inferno a little bit just to make a little competition for it yeah and this could be a really smart move from electronic arts you bring up a good point and especially since this would be prime opportunity to cater to the madden franchise and yet they're going with dante's inferno but then again madden you already have that install base so probably a really smart move from ea fiscal so yeah let's I don't think anybody hasn't heard of Madden by now. I don't even think any football fan hasn't heard of Madden by now. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. So, All right. Uh, go, go ahead. No, absolutely. If you got a final thought, let's move, uh, let's get out before we move on. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm really not sold on Dante's Inferno yet, so it would be interesting to see what they're going to do for this and uh, if um, Dante's Inferno is going to draw away some attention from God of War 3. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to see what they try. This sounds like a prime opportunity for a trailer of the year um, contender later on. But let's move on. I'm I'm issuing a warning to both people on the podcast and in respect for our listeners. (laughs) We are about to talk about Apple's new tablet. And as the owner of the news section of the site, I am invoking my right and forbidding anyone on the podcast to make any feminine hygiene um, product reference (laughs) when I mention the name in regards to the... And to, in regards to the news story, are we all clear on that? Or are we all okay with that? We don't have uh, to. You just did it. I uh, okay. so. <laughs> all right. We're going to be talking about, of course, the iPad. The recently released Steve Jobs affection, uh, affectionate tablet device from Apple. And it's getting a lot of press, as we can assume. Um, Sony has already come forth and said that it's probably going to actually do the PSP good by making it look better by comparison. Oh, my goodness. So, Rock on! That is a that is a that's throwing down the cash. This is this is old school advertisement. This is PSP does what iPhone can't. I, yeah. <laughs> so rock on for them. We got a lot of responses even from iPhone developers. Let's see what we got here. Critical Thought Games, makers of Geo Defense Swarm, a huge hit on the iPhone, say the install base is already massive and it's not going to be going anywhere soon. So any of this new tablets um, audience is just going to interfere with that. Possibly at most drive a little bit away, but there's going to People that already like the technology already have an iPhone, so not expecting much out of it. Mm. Sega, however, is already pretty interested in it. 
they just released the Ultimate Genesis app on the iPhone, so likely they're going to port over new tech for this. And we have um, Dave Castellanuvo, I believe it's how you pronounce it, Bolt Interactive. They have made the best-selling iPhone game ever, Pocket God. says it will extend the reach of the Apple brand in the gaming industry, but it's, again, not going to be as important as the iPhone. So more importantly, what do we think about the iPad and its uh, approach <laughs> to gaming? I think you uh, you hit it on the head there that the install base for the iPad just isn't going to be big enough to justify the development of a different version. I mean, you can play a lot of these games on uh, the iPhone games on the iPad, but the resolution is shot to hell because you're blowing it up from what a, a whatever 2.7 inch screen to a 9.7 inch screen or whatever the uh, the difference is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with the um. Uh, there isn't going to be enough of an install base, really, to justify making a high-res version of every single game that comes out just for the iPad. Yeah, I kind of wonder how much of the, like, even on the programming side, how different it is. Are all these people that are learning how to develop stuff on the iPhone suddenly going, ah, son of a bitch, you know, when they're when they're like, this new one just came out? We just figured out how to make iPhone games. Um, so I'm curious how much, how different the back-end uh, infrastructure is on, on the two platforms. Um I don't know. On a personal note, I'm really not that excited about the the iPad. I think it's kind of neat. I think it's a step in the right direction, but it's definitely not something I'm going to buy yet. Um, I, I kind of like tablet PCs a little bit more myself. I mean, if you want, you know, if you want something touch screeny and and to kind of for on the go use, that's kind of what I would want, just because you'd be able to run Photoshop and stuff like that. And granted, this is all based on the assumption that um, Apple's going to put forth a lot of um, muscle to make the iPad a gaming device, which it doesn't seem like that's going to be one of their main focuses with the product. Yeah. Um, especially from the financial analyst side, they um, Jesse Divinich from EEDAR is saying that it's not you can't really be competitive with ten buck games in an industry of sixty buck games. Yeah. So I mean, there's gonna they can cut into it. Uh, iPhone's been great for gaming business, but again, you got you already got a good install base that this is just gonna conflict with. I think the only thing that really the iPad is gonna be competing with right now are gonna be um, netbooks specifically and people and like Kindle users because you know somebody's gonna be you know starting to crank out books and stuff to read on the iPad. Yeah. So they I already don't have the functionality already. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have the functionality, but when you yeah. compare reading off of an LCD screen for four hours to reading off of an e-ink screen for four hours, mm. I think your eyes are going to hurt a little bit more with the LCD screen. So um, I that, wouldn't be too excited to read a whole book off of an LCD screen. That might be true, but even the social status symbol that that iPhone and iPad and or, you know and pretty much all Apple products have kind of created, I think a lot of people are going to be buying into that as well. This is true. I don't think I've uh, pretty much any time I've ever seen somebody pull out an iPhone, it isn't just them using the iPhone. It's them waving it around in my face saying, look, I have an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Hang on one second. I have a a cat has invaded the studio. Uh, I'll be right back. I thought that was pretty good. It was like a cat fight sound effect. (laughs) I have an iPhone. I'm better than you. Like, oh, really? (laughs) I'll be right back. Keep talking, guys. Sounds good. I think um, if you're ready, man, I think we're going to move on into the news and have just bring in Randy in a bit when he comes back. I'm just going to start out the new uh, segment here. We have a rumor circulated around that Satoru Iwata, um, of course, big guy at Nintendo, actually turned down the technology that would eventually be known as Natal back in 2007. We have a report from CVG, Computers and Video Games, um, that stated that from an inside source, one of those unspecified anonymous people, that Nintendo had looked at technology that was very similar to the capabilities of Natal, and yet they ultimately decided to go against it. 
So Nintendo could have had Natal or Weetal. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> I, I can definitely see that. I mean, Nintendo, I love Nintendo, but God, uh, they love to nickel and dime me. And a Natal um, camera or whatever they're going to call it does not let them sell four Nintendo Wiimotes and four nunchucks. So in the long run, I think they know what they're doing here because God only knows how much money they've made off controllers alone that they wouldn't have been able to make if they had just sold them a tall camera. Wow, I never even thought of it like that, to be honest with you. How many, like... One of the major points, though. Um, a $50 price point that Microsoft has been rumored to say is definitely under what Nintendo usually charges for peripherals, especially box set. Yeah. So that could have been one of the major deterrents in terms of Nintendo taking on this technology. Yeah, huh. I'm almost 100% sure that was it. Combine that with the fact that they can't... Uh, no controllers means, uh, well, you would, no controllers means kind of that, uh, that might deter virtual console sales because they wouldn't have the controller ready, readily available. They would have to go out and buy one. Mm-hmm. But then again, given Nintendo's, uh, uh, tendency to make us pay for peripherals, that might not be a huge deterrent, so. Damn, Justin's taking it away today. Awesome. Very good. I mean, last, awesome. Last- Last week we couldn't uh, we couldn't get the guys to talk about it because they didn't they didn't really know not making fun of them or anything but uh, it's just total night and day I, I totally agree with you Justin I um I don't know I I, I also kind of wonder if it was a stupid business move on their behalf or were they were they just trying not to do it so that they didn't um, I don't know dumb down the product that they already have that I kind mean, of thing when you look at the past uh however long it's been four years three four years. Uh, I can't really say it was a dumb business move on their part. I mean, you look at the profits they made, how long they dominated the console market. I think they know what they're doing, even if it is kind of slowing down a little bit for them now. I think they'll find something. Uh, they'll have something up their sleeve to make it turn around. Indeed. All right. Well said. Especially, yeah, from where Microsoft came into the market, it's a good move. But Nintendo started out the, um, started out the market in such a good way that it's pretty much inconceivable this would help them in any degree. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, but I think we pretty much covered that topic. We murdered that, baby. <laughs> but we are moving on. Um, we are moving on to the um, the fact that Final Fantasy XIII will be shipping on three DVDs for Xbox 360. Unsurprising, we had had the assumption for a while. Um, some of the producer, Yoshinori Kitase, the producer of the game, had said they were testing for that. And, yeah, so three DVDs for the 360 version. Do you think that this will have hamp- hamper sales do you think this is going to affect any any sort of way what do you guys think on that i don't i don't think it's going to hinder its sales at all because uh final fantasy's general install base is the same group of people that have been buying final fantasy for the past you know 10 15 years and we've all been used to you know multiple discs final fantasy 7 had three eight had four i think nine had four the only one that went back down to like one disc was uh 10 and 12 you know so i don't think it's going to hurt it at all yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely not surprised. You know, they'll increase their fan base a little bit since they're bringing it to the 360. But when you look at a game like Mass Effect 2 that had two discs, mm-hmm. did that hamper me? Not at all. I mean, I had to change discs once and pretty much half, I could still access all the areas that I had accessed in the first part of the game. In fact, I'm not sure. I guess the only thing that really was, um, different between the two discs is the dialogue and maybe the cutscenes. So I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of difference. Uh, there's not going to be, a, it's not going to be like Metal Gear Solid, I think is my point, where you have to install it every single chapter. So yeah. you're installing it every two hours. 
I think, you know, the other thing is, from what I've been reading, uh, even from what we've been saying on our site, uh, is that Final Fantasy XIII is an incredibly linear Final Fantasy experience. And it does not seem as though there's going to be a lot of backtracking involved. So it's not like people are going to be going back to point yeah. B on the A through Z, you know, list of points and then need to reenact something. So it seems like it would be a pretty easy game to chop up into multiple DVDs and not need to re, you know, go back at all. The um, linear portion has been revealed to only be the first six hours in general, but yeah, I mean, the game could be laid out in such a way that switching discs will um, not be uncomfortable in the slightest. Mass Effect, again, did very well. So yeah, I'm not expecting it to um, affect too majorly. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure disc swapping may not allow them to catch as wide a net as they want, but then again, uh, it's Final Fantasy, so the name will cover pretty much all costs that disc swapping would have made. I mean, yeah. it's only the very... The very picky consumer that will uh, just be dissuaded from that. Yeah. I gotta, well, what, oh, go ahead, Randy. Oh, I was gonna say, I gotta say, on a personal note, this is gonna be the first Final uh, Final Fantasy game that I personally am not gonna purchase. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Everything that I have been reading about this, I have just been really uh, kind of let down. It just does not, from what I can tell so far, it does not seem like a real Final Fantasy game. Like growing mm-hmm. up with with. Nobuo Uematsu as the composer, you know, with, uh, you know, even with the, uh, the atmosphere and the story and the, and the way the pacing seems to be done, it just does not seem to be like a Final Fantasy game at all. It seems like if you were to compare Final Fantasy VI or even VII or Chrono Trigger or whatever, anything from that, that era and compare it with this, it seems like they are two totally different kind of games. And, uh. That's a, that's a pretty major, um, claim to love you there. Yeah, I I will I will rent it, and if I'm impressed, I'll buy it then. But honestly, it's not going to be getting my day one dollars. That's for damn sure. Then again, if I was a um, as hard of a Final Fantasy fan as I am now, when um, after six and before seven was coming out, I'd probably be saying the exact same things you are. Yeah, True. the series has seen some major revolutions, so this I, either best case scenario, this could be just another one of them. Yeah, but then again, Randy could be right on the ball. But um, we will be seeing this March. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts before we move on? Well, I think when you look at the the three groups of people, people who own a PS3 will be better for the PS3. People who own both probably get it for the PS3. People who own a 360 and want to get this game, I don't think they're going to be dissuaded just because of three discs. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. All right, I think we're going to move on to one of our last ones. Um, We're going to stay in the 360 vein here. We got some info released now from Rentrack, our financial tracking firm. The Xbox 360 actually had, per, um, per capita, the most advertised and rented games of t- uh, 2009. That's both most advertised, at, uh, most advertised and most rented, two categories that the Xbox kind of took home. They had 9 out of 20 top advertised slots and 17 out of the top 20 rentled, rent, uh, rental games. So a lot of, a lot of stuff um, went in Xbox 360's favor. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of funny. Even if you just looked on uh, on Gamefly's site and looked at their their most rented games, um, even games uh, of the same you know the exact same game that appears on both platforms, the 360 version will be like seven or eight ranks above the above the PS3 okay. counterpart. Like Modern Warfare 2, it was ridiculous the the difference between the two on their on their most rented list. So uh, you know this isn't surprising. Um, the Wii actually did hold three out of the top five advertising spots, but unfortunately Sony. Didn't have a single top rental in the top oh. 20. Not oh, a single That's game. Cool. Yeah, oh. If you have the full list on there, I'm not going to go through all those. That's 40 games. I really don't want to list them. But you got the cl- uh, you got the classics on there. You have Modern Warfare 2 hitting both top charts. Sweet Sports Resort, 
we fit. You know, you got all the regular contenders, but um, yeah. Any anyone completely flabbergasted by this, or is it pretty much? I'm shocked the that they, you know, that there was no uh, infamous, no, um, just just that at, at least one of the counterparts, you know, Arkham Asylum on the PS3, Modern Warfare 2 on the PS3, that they didn't crack this top 20. And I mean, the only reason I can think of is that, um, you know, people who preferred, who wanted to buy a PS3, um. Not to say that there aren't a bunch of good games out for the PS3, but they would buy the good games that there are and then, you know, use it for the other things that it can do, like play Blu-rays and stuff. So maybe the people who bought the PS3 are just buying the games and playing the Blu-rays and not really renting games is the only explanation I can think of. I was, I was actually thinking the exact same thing. That, uh, that sounds, that sounds right about right. You know, I didn't, I didn't rent Infamous. I just bought it. I didn't rent, uh, you know, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. I just bought it, so that that might be that might be the case. So, do you think, as um, as a general PS3 owners are more self aware of what games are going to get as they get the system or before they get the system? I think they the have to be owners? given given the number of of uh, yeah, well, this oh god, I'm going to sound like an Xbox 360 fanboy here. Given the number, <laughs> of, good, given the number of good games Ooh. on the PS3 versus the 360, you know. You're pretty much buying a PS3 saying, I want to buy, play Blu-rays and I want to play Metal Gear Solid 4. And, you know, I'll pick up Little Big Planet and Infamous, but I'm not going to try a bunch of games for it like I might on the Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, there are um, good games that are coming out like Arkham Asylum, like Modern Warfare 2, like probably half the other ones on that list, they're going to come out on the 360 as well. And frankly... Uh, this is just personal preference, but I would rather play it on the 360. So yeah, I'm really, really surprised that Uncharted 2 didn't make it on there. Oh. I mean, what is what is possibly one of the best games in the past five, maybe even ten years, didn't make it in wow. that list. You're even saying best of, more than just best of generation. Yeah, That's I think a, it's it's a really fantastic game. I mean, no doubt. Look at when you look at how much it sold too. It sold absolutely disappointing for what it was for what, um, how much it it got acclaim for it it really comparatively bombed, which is sad, very sad to see a game of that caliber. But like you, like we said here, just going to say, um, it didn't, play, PlayStation 3 did get some games in the most advertised. They're, the number one is at the number eight spot. And are you ready to be sad? Everyone ready to be sad? Sure. It's Madden. Ooh. Uh, Madden <laughs> NFL 10, number eight. And like we said, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on the 360 is number two. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on the PS3 is number 12. I really want to know why they need to advertise for Madden so much. I mean, it almost seems like their their market is self you know self informed at this point. Well, then again, sometimes that market it seems like a market that you have to remind. Yes, <laughs> I was <laughs> just about to say that. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's thinking it. <laughs> no, we pretty much are. It's just you and I that are saying it. <laughs> Madden's yeah. coming out, honey. Go buy it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, but yes, official Elder Geek. We have uh, we have ruled it. The PS3 audience is pretty much more self-aware as a general rule. We have, <laughs> have confirmed that it is now, it is now rule. It is now in stone. The right. Elder Geek Think Tank has spoken. Elder Geek Think Tank, indeed. <laughs> Listen up, Pactor. We have your number. But we are, we are moving on to our final news item of the day. Uh, to the Wii, since we haven't talked about it that much. Um, Wii has yet again uh, passed another milestone. Surprise, surprise. This time. It has reached beyond 65 million units sold overall. It is it is now sold over 67 million units in total. 
And the DS has now sold over 125 million, making it the only competitor it has now for best-selling console of all time, the PS2. And it's closing in pretty damn quickly. So I would actually say it's going to beat it, and it's not going to take long to do it. So no. by the end of the year, it's going to be it's going to be pretty clear that the DS is going to be the best-selling platform. Let, let, right. me, let me tell you this little personal anecdote about about actually the Wii and how much it has sold. And I think this is probably the reason why it's starting to slow down. I think that they've reached their actual saturation point with with their buyers. Um, a personal friend of mine who hates gaming, like she just thinks it's an absolute waste of time. Um, she bought a Wii for her mom, uh, who has never played a Wii. But then her mom actually went to like CVS or something and bought like one of those generic Wiis, like the generic exercise machine that looks exactly like a Wii, and she was totally psyched about it. So now, now this friend of mine actually has a Wii on her hands that she has nothing to do with and she just doesn't even want it. Like, she'd rather throw it out than just keep it in her apartment. I think we're even running into stuff like that, where people who hmm. are not gamers, in the uh, even the slightest sense of the word, are buying it because they feel like it's more of a social norm than it is anything else. Yeah, I completely agree on this. I mean, Nintendo was masterful with not only, you know, uh, hyping it up, but maintaining demand supply and dem- uh, maintaining supply and demand of the product that made it a completely hot item and everybody and when it came out everybody had to get this and this wasn't something that lasted you know like a couple months like it does like a normal console when it launches this is something that was sustained for years you couldn't get this without a uh, a focused effort if you lived in any like heavily populated area yeah uh, so uh, and now everyone who ha- wants one has one Everyone, not everyone who has one wants one, including myself. <laughs> well, there you go. Whoa. Okay. Well, our news story does continue beyond this point, but I am in complete agree with me, uh, agreement with you guys. But we, um, in the same vein that they've reached their saturation point, despite these sales numbers, Nintendo has seen a year-on-year decrease in sale in software sales, at very least, yeah. since the Wii's launch. And this year specifically, they are down nine percent in net income from last year and down twenty-three percent. In sales, I, I think, oh. and they're and based on their projection for 2010, it is 230 billion yen overall, which is 2.6 billion dollars. That is again lower than last year. So, if, taking all this into account, let's get a prediction from you guys. What is going to be the absolute apex of Wii and DS? What is going to be their number before it? Um, before their numbers just become. Before they just peter off and, and yeah. almost stop, I think they're probably going to stop around 72 million. To be honest with you, okay. Uh, I think right around there is when they're just going to completely fall off the off the mark. I think, what is that? Another five million to go? Yep. Yeah, I think they can squeeze that out. And um, I think I think three million from now, they're they're pretty much gonna, they're going to be slowing down quite a bit. But after that, it's going to be. Purchases are going to be from uh, casual buyers to like super super casual buyers to people that are buying replacement consoles. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you got it about right. I think they could easily make another couple million. I think Metroid the other M is going to sell some Wii's. Yep. Um, but honestly, aside from that, the only game I'll, I'll give you a, a hand of where I stand on the Wii. The last game I was excited for for the Wii was Super Mario Galaxy, and how long ago was that? Right. So, I mean, I can tell you half a dozen games I'm excited for for the Xbox, the PS3, and the PC, but nothing for the Wii. So, well, in that uh, case, do you think that the Zelda game that we all know is coming for the Wii, do you think that's going to boost sales, or are you still sticking with a couple million? 
I, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to buy it. I think everyone who bought a Wii for Zelda bought it for Twilight Princess. And, uh, I don't think a a sequel is going to, I'm, Metroid the Other M is something completely new. Uh, that'll convince people to buy a Wii. But if I wanted to buy a Wii for Zelda, I would have already done so for Twilight Princess. I don't think, uh, whatever this next one is going to convince me to go out and buy one if I haven't already. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and kind of like you were asking earlier, like uh, you were pointing out that software sales was, was petering out even though like hardware sales was staying the same. I think that's because people were buying it to play Wii Sports because that was the social norm. And then when they tried to, you know, reach out and see what other fun games they could get, they were ended up buying things like carnival games and, and, uh, you know, other mini game compilations and stuff that just didn't quite uh, scratch the itch, so to speak. So they stopped buying software for the Wii. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you know you pick out you if you're an Xbox 360 owner, you're not a casual. You're, you're a casual gamer. You go pick out a a random game for 20 bucks, and chances are it's pretty decent. You can't say the same thing for the Wii. You go to the the store, they don't mark down the prices on those premier Mario Galaxies. Those Mario Galaxies are still sitting at 50 bucks. <laughs> Right. When you see a Carnival Games compilation for 20 bucks, you're a casual gamer, you think my kid's gonna like that, you buy it, not knowing that it's shovelware. Right. And eventually people are gonna get tired of that. Yeah, so people are gonna be buying it for, uh, you know, uh, Wii Sports, we uh, what's the, I'm, I'm sorry, I, why am I drawing a blank on this? Wii Fit. Wii Fit. And um, I can't really think of much else. The hardcore crowd are gonna buy their hardcore titles, but sales have even shown that those aren't enough to, to maintain a profit because, uh, Dead Space Extraction flopped, um, uh, what was the other one that flopped? Mad World flopped, and I, yep. I'll be really surprised to see if No More Heroes 2 does any, any, you know, any success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm actually a pretty, um, a little bit more in Nintendo's camp than you guys, because uh, again, in terms of game per game, yeah, it's it's always been difficult to sell those hardcore games, but I think Zelda, Metroid are going to have their software uptick. I think that's going to cover them on that base. But even a 23% decline for Nintendo is an 86% uptake for any other console. Sure. There, are, there is such a divide financially between the consoles right now that Nintendo could lose a lot more before they actually start hurting. Yeah. And the only person that's going to really suffer from this, as you said, are probably the third-party developers that aren't jumping ship, that aren't Sega, that aren't um, EA, that aren't Activision, that aren't looking at their sales and moving on. Yeah. And I think that Nintendo will be able to maintain this lower degree of sales at the very worst. I think they're actually going to go beyond your guys' sales. I'm going to put them in the upper 70s, maybe breaching a bit past 80 million before they go out. But the Wii itself, it's although it's dropping, again, it's Nintendo. They they have a long-ass long, long ass way to keep dropping before they actually come into any sort of degree of um, instability. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one more point before I actually finish out my thoughts of the week for... for uh... Uh, our news. Um, I, I think if Nintendo does come out with a new Zelda, um, it will sell quite a few copies of Zelda itself because, uh, like, um, uh, like Phil actually pointed out from Shamoozle a couple of weeks ago, it's it's the fact that it's a game that everybody's really familiar with, like uh, like Super Mario Brothers. The guys that actually don't have time to research games, the guys that actually don't give a crap about what it is, it's a game that they were comfortable growing up with. It's a game that they're going to be comfortable playing with again right now, and if they own a Wii, they're going to buy it. So that's the way it's going to go. And I think the DS is going to keep going, though. I think the DS has longer legs oh. at this point than the Wii. And I, th- and I think it's we're not going to see this drop comparatively between the DS and Wii. I think the D- DS is going to keep going. You guys? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it. When Pokemon uh, Heart Gold <laughs> comes out, 
I'm going to be the first person in line at GameStop. Um, there are just so many good games coming out for the DS, and they've maintained such a high level of quality. And, you know, they're fairly reasonable, and they've actually dropped in price. My main beef, I kind of I touched on earlier with Nintendo, is that they don't drop prices on those big first-party titles that you really want, like your Mario Galaxy or Smash Brothers. Uh, but for the DS, they're a little bit more reasonable. Um, so I, uh, I'm just really excited for the DS. I love my DS, and it's definitely... Uh, going to continue, I think. Okay, I think that's a good spot to wrap up the news this week, so I think we're just going to head on into break. That was news, and we'll be back in a couple minutes for the interview portion. The Shinra Guard is close behind Cloud and the rest of the gang as they stole vehicles from the Shinra headquarters. They are in close pursuit, and they are where I am in the truck. Cloud is defending the truck by swinging his sword wildly as a villain pursuing us. Cloud is almost at his limit break. There is just going to go in just than a couple minutes. I'm lost in the motherfucking desert. The Golden Saucer is a source of economic explosion in a world decimated by greed. There is fire everywhere! Oh my god, there's a man walking through the fire! Embedded reporters within Final Fantasy VII, only on 8BitX.com. Hey everybody, welcome back from break. Um, again, I've got uh, Gavin with me from the news and Justin Johnston from uh, 8BitX.com. He's got a show called Radio Free Gamer. Um, Justin, uh, tell us about Radio Free Gamer. How did you uh, how did you start it off? Well, Radio Free Gamer is a continuation of a show I was doing in college. I went to University of Maryland, where they have a, a really great old public radio station, and uh, students can get on there and have their own shows uh, every week. So I would do a show every week with video game music called Eight Bit Radio. And uh, after I graduated, I still wanted to do that. I loved it. Uh, I would spend so much time preparing every week. So I looked around on the Internet for maybe a, a radio station or a place to host a show just like 8-Bit Radio, and I found out uh, Will Strauss at 8BitX.com. He has a, a weekly show called the 8-Bit Extravaganza, and he also runs a, um, a, a stream, an automated stream, uh, whenever he's not on there doing his show live. Uh, so I spoke with him and said, you know, I had this radio show. I want to keep doing it. Uh, would you like to have me on your network? And he was immediately, uh, you know, he, he wanted to have me on the, on the network. It worked out great. And I've been doing it uh, for about six months now. Wait, wait. So your show was actually called 8-Bit Radio? Yep. And you ran into Will, who has 8-Bit X. I, yeah, uh, Will has 8-Bit X. But that was just totally coincidental. I always thought that it was like the two of you had started that up together. Like it was you and Will, and you made 8BitX.com, and... I thought that was, wow, so that's an odd well, coincidence. Yeah, Will had been doing a, the 8-Bit Extravaganza for a while before I even knew about the site. So, you know, like I said, I, I had been doing it in college, and I really wanted to keep doing it. Uh, so I found a site, and uh, I changed the name, not necessarily because of uh, Will already using the 8-Bit right. uh, moniker, but because I didn't just play 8-Bit music. So I wanted to make, make it plain that this was something for, you know, all, all things gaming. You know. mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, what about like where do you get most of your your music? Like, are you yeah? Where do you get most of your music? <laughs> okay, uh, everything I play is available for free on the internet. 
So I go to places like, uh, I'll throw out a few plugs here, uh, Game Music for All, uh, VGMDB, OC Remix, uh, VG Mix, all the remixing sites out there. Uh, keep an ear to the ground for new album releases on like Twitter and uh, other places like that, forums. And every week I go try to find some fresh, free video game music or stuff related to vi- video game music like Nerdcore or stuff that's just inspired by video games and uh, bring it to the show. Damn, that's awesome. So where does the Radio Free part of your moniker come into it? Uh, what exactly does Radio Free entail in terms of the show? Well, free because I play music that's free. <laughs> and radio because it is a live radio-style show. Oh, I thought it was... Together a... And add the fact that I'm a huge nerd and gamer. And there you go. I just thought radio free together as a sort of a, a phrase meant something like like a, your, uh... like a political statement or something. Oh, it is. It Perhaps. is. It is what we stand for. It is something that is ours. Radio free isn't just about music. It's about a whole. Uh, I don't want to say lifestyle because now I sound like I'm up on a soapbox, but <laughs> or a podcast. Oh, uh, <laughs> but it's it's you know what I feel strongly about what I like doing. So I think the radio free kind of goes along with the whole revolutionary, subversive, um, just doing what we like. You know, it's not necessarily about being subversive. It's just about playing the music we like, talking about the things we like. So there you go. I think that's pretty that's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. So, Subversive um, programming, rock on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, Justin, I always thought that it was a, I, I really did think that your name, your moniker was a, a very politically motivated, uh, um, undertone to it because even your, your logo has like a fist in the air with a controller in the hand and it's like got, it almost looks Russian in, in, uh, <laughs> in origin because it's got like a star behind it and everything. Well, um, I don't mean to be evocative or anything. I just, uh, uh, I guess oh, but things you like, are. oh, I, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to be, but, uh, I think it's a pretty, a very powerful image. I, thanks to, uh, Jeff Karomi, who does a lot of, um, he does a lot of, uh, graphics and stuff for 8-Bit X. Uh, just, I asked him if he could make something for my show and just taking the name, uh, he sent me a, a couple days later this, this sketch of the logo and I was like, that's, that's perfect. Don't change it at all. Um, so big, uh, huge thanks to him for making something like that. And uh, I guess the two together kind of make something really evocative. But um, I guess that's mostly just for marketing. That isn't necessarily about the show itself, <laughs> which works for me. Um, out, of, out of all the, you know, since you started doing it, have you found any bands that you were just like, holy crap, this is like my, my absolute new favorite, favorite uh, you know, video game band at all? Oh my god, I get to drop some more names. Uh, this place is haunted. I've seen them, I think, two or three times now. They actually I, might be on the show next week, by the way. Really? Yeah, uh, they're, yeah. They're very good. I saw them most recently at MAGFest, um, and they played... Um, if you combine two of my favorite things, uh, my one of my favorite video game bands is Places Haunted, and one of my favorite video game soundtracks ever, Chrono Trigger... Um, they announced at MAGFest that they're going to be doing a a full-length, like, 80-minute Chrono Trigger album, and they played, like, 10 minutes of it. And uh, it was just, like, I I was very happy. (laughs) So let me tell you. But uh, fantastic group. Uh, Also out there, there are a ton of local video game bands here, which is uh, fantastic. It's so good to live in the, uh, like, Baltimore, D.C. metro area. Um, There's uh, Rare Candy, Armadillo Tank. Um, the Megas come up here a lot to do MAGFest and things like that, and they're fantastic. 
Uh, Select Start, there's uh, a group I worked with at University of Maryland, the uh, University of Maryland Gamer Symphony Orchestra, who is a whole, uh, an entire orchestra and chorus that does video game music. So uh, I did uh, marketing and advertising and stuff back uh, for them back when I was in college. But uh, so many good groups out there, it's, it's impossible to name them all. Wow. Kevin, he really is like a leader of a political movement here. We just don't realize it. Like honestly, I we're, think so. We, you know, we're we're huge gamers, and we've been sitting around. Like, I, I mean, occasionally I'll listen to video game music because I'll, I'll tell you what. Like, I, I don't. I normally don't sit down and like rock out to it. Once in a while, I will. But uh, it makes awesome background music while you're actually working. You oh, know? Yeah, absolutely. I have a full track list on uh, several people I follow on YouTube that post OSTs. Yeah, but the uh, the thing is, like, I. Uh, I've never heard of most of these bands before until I actually started talking with you guys at actually, you know, 8bitx.com or even, like, going to MAGFest and stuff. Like, for the longest time, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go and download the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack and listen to that while I'm working, you know. And that's been it. You know, there's a whole huge, you know, just movement of people doing remixes and stuff, and it's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's something that people feel so invested in. Uh, I mean, I could talk about about the community for a long time, but it's kind of what you were saying. It's not just original soundtracks anymore. I love rocking. I, I do rock out to video game music. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing, there is nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. Only the cool people rock out to video game music. <laughs> uh, well, if as long as you're you're comfortable enough with yourself to, to, do, to admit it and to do it, then uh, I think that says something about you there. Um, but anyway, um, you know, they're, they're – a lot of great soundtracks, but there are a lot of fantastic covers, really interpretive, artistically, uh, that, that have great artistic merit and still evoke the same kind of feelings that listening to the original soundtrack and remembering the experience of playing the game and remembering the characters and the story and uh, the feelings you had playing the game uh, can be evoked not just through listening to the original soundtrack, but by listening to these covers, which bring kind of another dimension of uh, somebody else's experience when they are playing the game, kind of expressed through their cover of that song. So, very good stuff. That's awesome. So, <clears throat> what's in plan for the uh, the show right now? Kind of, kind of steady as she goes, or do you have any big expansion plans? Or, uh... well, I uh, as far as the the show goes, I'm trying to work really hard every week to bring interviews to the show. I, I think that's one of the big things that I bring. You know, I love video game music and I love talking with people about video game music. And, you know, I could sit there and play, I could find music and sit there and play it for two hours every week. But really, what am I doing other than providing you a list of links? I mean, I might as yeah. well just go on, go onto my website, say, here, download this, listen to this, and not really provide you with any other content. But by actually going out to these MAGFest and shows like that, uh, making the connections with the artists, building a rapport, coming ov- over Skype, uh, talking with them every week, uh, just really provides kind of uh, a- an actual merit to the show. Um, you know, bring, making uh, I-, I can provide you with something that I'm proud of. Uh, I can build my skills in getting interviews and things like that. So the thing I always, my goal is to have an interview every single week and have it be a really quality interview that everyone wants to listen to uh, informative, entertaining, and uh, revealing about not only the artist, but about myself and about video game music and video games as a whole. Um, so that is my goal, personally, for my show. But we have 
a, just a, a grand plan of expansion at 8BitX, the <laughs> internet radio station. So, uh, and you guys are a part of that, actually. Yeah, we're, we're part of that now. I, I think it should be. I think the idea of 8BitX.com as a whole is, is pretty fucking awesome, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, it is like the, the, you know, ideal video game radio channel. You know, it's got everything that you would really want. If you're interested in video games at all and you just kind of want to listen to video game radio background stuff, I think 8BitX is perfect for that. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, shit, I had a... Oh, oh, I did know what I wanted to ask you. The, um... Have you had a chance to, like, interview any, uh, you know, game composers or anything like that? Like, um... I, I don't know any particular off the top of my head, but I'm always kind of fascinated when I when I read about some of these some of these guys that actually do stuff. But have you ever have you ever met and actually talked with any video game composers as a as opposed to um, um, people who remake them or anything like that? Yeah, I mean I've met a bunch of uh, composers personally. I met uh, Tommy Tallarico at Magfest. Really? He's a, a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he uh, guy can talk. I'll give him that. <laughs> um, Especially so, if you uh, get him on a topic that he likes, like oh, video games live or himself. Really? Uh, no, I, I'm just it's like, tell me about yourself. Like five hours later, you like ran out of tapes. I, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but uh, the biggest guy I've actually had come on the show and do an interview would probably be Christopher Tin, uh, composer for. Um, uh, he composed Babietu, which is in Civilization Four, um, and he's been a composer on just a whole lot of of other projects. Um, but uh, Babietu has kind of become this big uh, phenomenon in video game music. Um, and uh, is featured on Tommy Tallarico's tour, Video Games Live. And uh, he actually came on the show to discuss his most uh, his debut album, Calling All Dawns. And that was a fantastic interview. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, probably one of the interviews I'm I'm proudest of. But uh, yeah, you, you can check that one out on the uh, the Radio Free Gamer podcast, uh, the Christopher Tin interview. It's really good stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um. What do you, um, ah, crap, I can't remember what the hell I was gonna ask. <laughs> Gavin, you go. That was, that was just a brilliant, brilliant, um. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that out interview. later. <laughs> really? I don't think you should. I really don't. Fine. <laughs> I'll leave my failure in. Okay, so, um, walk us through then a traditional, uh, broadcast of Radio Free Gamer. What can we expect if we want to tune in for just an, um, epi- uh, for just a trial period? What, uh, what can you say? that we can expect on an episode-by-episode basis? Um, Well, I usually bring uh, about four sets of uh, video game music, four or five sets. There will be more recent stuff. Uh, I play probably about 20, 25 minutes, and then I talk for a little bit. I talk about, uh, I do regular segments, uh, wins and fails of the week, kind of given my own. Uh, (laughs) If you liked my coverage of the, the recent news in video game music on this show i do something very similar with just me expressing my own uh unbiased and unbased uh opinions on video game music news um or video game news in general and nerd news in general um i talk about wins and fails of the week uh those are cool and lame uh news items uh respectively I try and bring a, it's, it's, I go out of my way to find the best and, uh, something that I truly have a, a good reaction to and could, you know, carry along for a couple minutes. Um, but, uh, I try to bring an interview every week. That is my goal eventually is to have an interview every week. And I hope I get to the point where I personally am diligent enough to go out and track down and prepare 
and uh, come up with quality interviews every week. But uh, right now there are some fantastic ones. I've been uh, pretty good since MAGFest about getting ones out every week. Um, and sometimes uh, when I'm reviewing a remixer, this happens a lot when I review pe- uh, interview people from OC Remix, uh, if they have a project that's coming out, I get a track, a preview track, an unreleased preview track from that project so that is my goal that is the thing that i think draws a lot of people so you listen to radio free gamer you get free music uh good hand-selected music that you can then go and download for free on the internet so i'll tell you where to find it i'll give you a link on my uh my part of the site 8bitx.com slash radio free gamer i'll talk a little bit about the news and i'll give you a really good interview so uh good stuff to listen to at work and a great way of finding new artists yeah. Following that up, you got a lot of goals. I'd love to see it, but I want you to give me your perfect broadcast. Give me the one person you would love to interview. Give me the news that you'd love to bitch about for a good 15 minutes. What would be <laughs> your ideal, your, your mecca of podcasts, sir? Um, I'd say the thing I would probably, the, the news item I would love to talk about for 15 minutes wouldn't be a win of the week. It would definitely be a fail of the week. <laughs> Maybe something on this, the, um, the level of Daikatana. I could probably carry a Daikatana bitch fest for probably about 20 minutes. Nice. Um, and as far as interviewing somebody, um, I would probably die and go to heaven if I could interview Yasunori Mitsuda or somebody who's big and, uh, maybe not just get, you know, somebody who is talking about remixing songs, but talking about having their songs remixed and how they feel about having contributed to this, what I feel is one of the best um, online communities, social communities out there. Yeah, I, I'm totally fascinated by the sub subculture of, of video game remixers. Honestly, because like you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, being a you know a gamer was was um, uh, was a subculture of its own, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you know. Gamers who specifically do, you know, video game music remixes. I'm, that's awesome. I think that's totally fascinating. At the end of your show, do you also do a story time with Justin? <laughs> no, at the end of my show, usually I do a. Um, You've got the right. voice for it, dude. You have a very, very soothing voice. It's like, and now, oh. and then, let me turn the page and tell you about what happened to young Mr. Fox. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I'd go for more something along the lines of. Uh, Something along the lines of a Ron, Ron White sipping my brandy and uh, smoking awesome a Awesome reference, sir. Awesome reference, sir. I love Ron White. And this is what happened. And this is what's going to happen next week. And if you don't tune in, screw you. <laughs> awesome. Now, what about you? Have you ever, have you ever tried your hand at, uh, at remixing anything? Or, or are you a composer or anything of your own? Do you play your own music? Balls, no. <laughs> Balls, no, sir. Balls, no? That is an awesome. That is an awesome response. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Balls, no. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, like I said, I, I helped out with the um, the Gamer Symphony Orchestra when I was in in college. I didn't play a single instrument. I have no musical talent whatsoever. Uh, but I love talking and talking about the things I like and promoting <laughs> things I like, like the Gamer Symphony Orchestra on 8bitx.com. <laughs> I guess I'll have to be satisfied with those talents. That's pretty good, though. You've you've never picked up anything. I I have to admit, I personally picked up a guitar for about three months and uh, never developed the calluses for it ever. Mm-hmm. And I played like every day. Uh, well, I played the recorder for about two weeks in fourth grade. <laughs> 
Um, I, I, I sucked at it. <laughs> I tried to take... Uh, there are a lot of starving uh, music grad students in college, and I paid one to teach me piano for a um, probably about two months. But even then, uh, the price that it takes for lessons, especially when you're in college and paying them for yourself, would have made me a, a starving engineering student. So <laughs> um, I, I would love to have stuck with it, but again, I was an engineering student who was working at a radio station and doing PR for an orchestra, and I think that's enough to expect of myself. Yeah. Um, but maybe down the line, uh, maybe when I've satisfied some of those other things, maybe if I, you know, got, uh, the radio thing going and I'm at the point where I can say, all right, I would love to test my, myself on, on something new. Um, I would find the closest, uh, piano instructor who, uh, allows me to play video game music and learn to, uh, learn to play the piano with video game music. And, uh, I would... I would pay that man and continue to pay him until I, I figured it out. So a lot of instructors would be smart to use video game tunes as starter pieces. A lot of them just have really simple, re- uh, repetitive medallies that get a lot of the basic structure of most instruments down yeah. in your head, and they're also repeatable across many different instruments. So I think, yeah, any any instructors listening to that, that is a great place to start. I'd love to learn a lot of Zelda tunes on the violin. I think that'd be, I think that'd be epic. Give me a lot of chicks. Yeah, I absolutely. I don't know about the chicks part, but uh, I agree with motivating, um, using it as a form of motivation. You know, when I when I was taking piano lessons, I wasn't. I honestly didn't even occur to me to bring him some video game sheet music. I was playing, you know, Beethoven's. Uh, I, th- I think it was it was Mozart's student who had written a book on on let piano lessons or. Um, Beethoven student, but I don't care. I mean, the fact that I don't know shows how little I care. Mm-hmm. Um, I love video games and video game music, and if you're going to take that edge, I think uh, uh, that would be a much better motivator. So I, I actually have to ask this question. I, I, I normally hate um, I hate asking the question about superlatives, and I know generally superlatives are, are the most uncomfortable answer, but uh, people love to hear about superlatives. So what is what is your favorite uh, you know genre of video game music? Is it is it eight bit music? Is it sixteen bit? Is it uh, is it specifically RPG based? Is it modern stuff? You know, do you, do you have a favorite or? Um, I'm always up for a good. Piano mix. I'm always up for a good guitar mix. Um, I don't want to throw out, you know, this is my absolute favorite remixer or remixing style ever because uh, I just don't have one. I love all of it. Um, that being said, you know, maybe I'm not so much into uh, chip music or techno type stuff as as I could be. That's just personal preference. It's not, yeah. I don't like that stuff. It's I'm willing to play it. I played it on my show before. Um, it's just if I'm, you know, sitting around my cube hacking away at my Java project, uh, it's probably not what I'm going to be listening to. So, um, I mean, I, I'm always up for, a, um, like I said, a good relaxing guitar, piano mix, or um, something like that, orchestral stuff. But I love everything, really. And, um, you know, some Black Mages is excellent from time oh, to time. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Dragon Force, if you want to get on some <laughs> non-BGM stuff there, that's 
Uh, Close a lot enough of their to stuff video basis in games, yeah. Um, yeah. Bl- Blind Guardian too. I mean, there's a lot. Oh my god! If I people love have references to Queen, they also have references to video games. I'm I've been researching for months to figure out the correlation, but there's something there. But yeah. um, in addition to your show, um, like you said, um, not stuff that didn't necessarily have basis for video games. What about the stuff that started in video games and moved on to other mediums? We have uh, the Japanese group uh, I Am Eight Bit that uh, remix modern tunes in Eight Bit style. Which, if you ha- if you haven't seen it, and people go watch it, they did um, all of Michael Jackson's stuff sounds great in 8-bit. But what about um, stuff like that? Um, huh. Have you heard of Don't 8-bit we... or any of those um, alternative bands? I, I hate to interrupt you, but of course we know Michael Jackson's stuff all sounds good in 8-bit. Haven't we heard of Sonic <laughs> 3? <laughs> yes, yes, he wrote the, he wrote the stuff for Sonic 3. But I mean, um, you have all these modern songs remixed in video game style. Is mm-hmm. that something you approach? Have you heard a lot about them? Uh, I, yeah, it's something that's come uh, come forward a little bit more. There was a uh, kind of bloop, um, an eight bit Miles Davis album. Uh, there was uh, I want to hold your hand. Um, it's abbreviated in Leet and Geek Speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, an eight bit Beatles cover album. Um, there's all sorts of really good stuff out there. Um, the only thing I've noticed about that stuff is people want you to pay for it. So, I mean, I might listen to it, but I can't really play it on the show. Um, you know, you actually you brought up a pretty good point before, or at least the both of you touched on it, was uh, was about, um, you, uh, Gavin, you mentioned Queen and stuff. You know, we're, we're starting to enter this realm where, like, video game music and music played in, in the norm, uh, you know, on the radio and stuff is actually, they're starting to mend together. In fact, on... Um, on our like local classic rock channel, I think they have like a commercial that says something like, um, "If it wasn't for Guitar Hero, yeah, yeah, it, you've heard it because like, you're you're local to me. It's like if you yeah. before Guitar uh, Hero, before there was Rock Band, there was there was this and yeah, you know. and like at the end, it's like our music goes red, blue, yellow too. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, I think that's kind of fascinating. Do you think that the that kind of thing is going to continue? Do you think um, you know video game music and and uh, uh, radio music are going to start becoming one where the point where like if it's released on a video game that it will be a a uh, uh, you know a radio played song. Well, I don't I don't know about that. Um, the closest thing I can think of to that, uh, aside from like the Guitar Hero stuff, but songs actually written for video games. Um, Halo Two had a few tracks. One was by uh, Breaking Benjamin. One was by Incubus, uh, where there was original songs for the Halo Two soundtrack that were by these major bands. So I don't know, um, as far as stylistically, I definitely think um, just from a product, uh, like a production quality standpoint, video game music is getting a lot better, and therefore it sounds like stuff you'd hear normally. But I think it's always going to be distinct. I don't know if you're ever going to hear the soundtrack to uh, Final Fantasy 17 being played on the classic music station or Halo 5 million being played on <laughs> DC 101. Um, but I, it's always going to be distinct, I think. Um, but it's going to be more and more prevalent. Maybe not on mainstream radio, but online and in people's iPods and things. Huh. I, I'm really looking forward to the Weezer cover of um, Still Alive from Portal. Oh, I really? think that'd be a, I think that'd be per, I, oh no, it's not happening. That's a fantasy. Oh, I was, I mean, you got me all excited there for a second. I was, yeah. just, that was, it, sounds cool. I think it will start. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, start that rumor train. That seems like a band that would really take on, uh, take on that kind of challenge. Well, you remind you. me of, of something. Actually, um, somebody did a Weezer, an 8-bit Weezer cover album. Um, really? 
Yeah, it, a bunch of Weezer tunes, did them in 8-bit style. It was a few months back. Um, I'm sure you could find it, but I forget exactly what it was called. But there you go. God, so much about video game music that I thought I knew, but I clearly don't know. <laughs> well, we all knew that, Randy. That's not really news. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Hey, what about uh, Dwayne and Brando, The Adventures of Dwayne and Brando? Did you ever have them on the show? No, I, I haven't, actually. Um, I really like their Mega Man uh, 2 um the, their Mega Man 2 video. It's yeah. really funny. Oh, those uh, are the guys that um, make raps based on video game stages? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there are a bunch of guys out there that do stuff like that, like uh, Mega Ram um, and uh, Rental Flaws. Oh, I, I could probably name a bunch of people, but uh, um, I like having stuff like that on the show. The only thing I have to be careful about is I, I'm probably a little bit more conscious than I should be about uh, language on my show. I don't know. I'll loosen up about it eventually. But It's the Internet, so you can fucking damn hell say whatever you bitch and want. Cock. <laughs> no, it's wow, true. You can... <laughs> I mean, come on. We, when you're looking at games like, uh, you know, just I just reviewed No More Heroes 2. There was so much foul language in that, and it's a video game. I don't think we should be really too, too worried about what our audience is. Especially since we're Elder Geek, and, you know, and the, and the guys that are listening to, you know, video game music for the most part, are, you're probably going to have a That's more real. adult demographic. But gratuitous cursing, Randy. That's just, there's no place for that. <laughs> True enough. Yeah, I mean, like you say, I'll probably loosen up about it eventually, but for me, it just feels weird. I I, I don't know. It just uh, I, I I don't really have any problem with it personally. Like, oh, I, I'll you know say what I want to when I'm just you know talking around my house, but uh, it just feels weird cursing on the air. It's uh, or excessively cursing on the air. I try to avoid the big seven. If you're familiar with uh, George Carlin, George Rock Carlin, yeah. reference my man. Yeah. That's funniest guy ever in history. Yeah. Well, actually, um, where I got it, um, when I was at WMUC during my show 8-Bit Radio, I couldn't use any of the seven uh, seven George Carlin words. Um, whatever <laughs> I love that he has call. his own category. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he was the one behind the whole... The seven whole, words, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, seven dirty words you can't stand television. He had a whole indictment on it. Yep. So um, uh, that's kind of where I got that, because when I was on... Radio, I couldn't use I couldn't use any songs that had any of those words in them. So I guess I kind of carried that over to my current show, and I'll, I'll loosen up about it eventually, but uh, not okay. right now. All right. Well, um, you know, we should we should actually be wrapping it up here. Is there anything you wanna you wanna add in that we that we didn't get to uh, to cover? Oh, I'll plug my URLs. I am on Twitter, Justin J two one two on Twitter. Um, our site the uh, 8BitX Internet Radio Network has not only my show and Will's show that we mentioned earlier, but we have the Elder Speak podcast and a bunch of other great podcasts. Uh, You can find all those at 8BitX.com or just uh, do a Google search on Radio Free Gamer. It'll pop up. Um, And, uh, yeah, uh, if you would like to email me, I'm RadioFreeGamer at gmail.com. I'll be about at all the big shows and stuff, and definitely check out the show. Um, my show airs live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, and then Will is on immediately after me at 9. Uh, so we have a great block that goes from like 7 to 12 Eastern every Wednesday night. Uh, I would love to have all you guys come over to the station and listen to it. Definitely. We'll, uh, you know, actually, uh, our gamer night starts tomorrow night at 7, so that is actually what we'll be playing in the background while I'm, while I'm uh, poning some noobs. Oh. Noob and some pones, whatever. What are you guys going to be playing? Tomorrow night is, uh, or, you know, by the time everybody's hearing this, uh, it's uh, going to be Castle Crashers. Next week oh. we're gonna be switching over to PS3. So, but yeah, yeah. So very cool. All right. I, 
Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This is a fantastic show. Um, I would love to have you back on sometime again if uh, if you will if you will join us. Oh, absolutely. I would love to uh, as often as you would have me. Uh, I'm always willing to put in my two cents and promote uh, promote 8-Bit X and whatever else I have going on. <laughs> and it was fun. It was great fun talking about all these things I love to talk about with you guys. So Great. It was Thanks. great to have you on to talk about it. Yeah, and and again, you had a lot of a lot of really good insight too. So so there you have it, Justin Johnson from 8bitx.com from Radio Free Gamer. Um, we'll be back again next week with hopefully the guys from um, This Place Is Haunted. So come on back. Take care, everybody. See y'all later. Yahoo! You're all clear, kid. Chief, can you hear me?